listening to Big Sore Natural. I don't want smoke, I just want smoke. 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 When I'm smoking greens, cause I'm on your team. When I smoke the sea, cause I'm such a team. High as a kite, smoking Walter White. When I smoke the blue and I smoke the purple. Smoking on the blunt, cause I wanna run. Smoking on the green, cause it makes me lean. Smoking on the ground, I smoke and scream. When I hit the blunt, it's a click of cut. When I hit the blunt, I get fuck. When I hit the blunt, I don't give a fuck. I don't want smoke, I just want smoke. Hello. Hello, pay pigs and prayer warriors. It's, you know, it's nice to be back. Um, we Cerise, you recently went... Well, we weren't gone, but you know, we just you went to Afropunk. That's yeah, I was in the big uh, Apple, New Dork City. Um, I've gone to Afropunk like every year since 2012. And Mm -hmm. the cool thing about going is that, like, when I went in 2012, I was like, wow, like everyone's dressed in like dashikis and docks, you know? And like 12, 10 years later, it's like no one has changed up the way that they dress to go there. Mm-hmm. It's it's always no the, new outfits. No, I mean I do a different outfit every year. I've never done a dashiki with docks, but it's just it's just like mm-hmm. interesting that like I guess it's kind of similar to Coachella fashion maybe, where right like every year it's always like free people core you know mm. um and they come in with like the the crocheted whatever and like the denim cutoffs um but different because it's with dashikis and docks um i've got right. no got no issues with it um someone came up to me and said that they recognized me which was you know ha- haven't had that happen since my tumblr days so that was fine in what way like from just like instagram a mutual friend or from the podcast itself not from instagram i'm not doing anything on there it was yeah they were a little a little pay pig oh wow biracial obviously um came came up to me and was like i loved the biracial episode me too and i was like yeah (laughs) i i get it i get that that you're my people Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mostly just wanted to gloat, um, and say that I was right. Because if you remember in our 2022 trend forecasting episode, yes. I said that this was going to be the year of the white man and that we were going to get more white rappers and also that like, um, black men for white women with a fetish was about to disappear and instead the new thing is going to be uh i think i think i said asian guys um for white women with a fetish and then like light-skinned latinas for the white men with a fetish but the but the other end of that is also that everyone was going to be dating white men and i was correct because wow there were so many so many white boyfriends at afropunk this year which is, it was wow. a stark difference from the years before where like, you know, anyone can go, but typically the, yeah. the white people that go are someone's like boyfriend or girlfriend or they friend or something. They're not mm-hmm. usually going by themselves, except for the one year that Death Grips 
was playing and then and then the white people showed up alone um in droves <laughs> uh, i the white wave just crashed down on <laughs> yeah and they gave death grips the same time slot that year that was lauren hill so the like crowd of people to see death crips was actually just only the white people that went to afropunk and also me because i rightly predicted that lauren hill would not show up for her set on time and that i could mm-hmm. make the entire death grip set before uh <laughs> catching hers and i was right she she hadn't even started she is famously late yeah to everything which I, so. I respected it worked out well for me um mm-hmm. but anyway like typically the white people that are there are usually someone's partner and by someone's partner i mean someone's girlfriend it's usually like a black man's white girlfriend that is there mm-hmm. um yeah and also for some reason they never know how to just like come regular like they're always in like like wakanda cosplay like they you know they do like li- like little bantu knots and and shit and it's like you could just like Dress like they yourself. pull the full Adele, just like, yeah, like you don't have the, to, the you Jamaican don't have to bikini like and the pantyhots. Um, but this year there was like a noticeable lack of white women, and instead, like an explosion of white men. And the other thing that was mm-hmm. interesting was that they were not in Wakanda cosplay. Like, I um, distinctly remember seeing a man with like a giant North Face backpack with a Gatorade sticking out of it. So he wasn't coming as as anything but yeah. himself. He was in boat shoes. Um, if anything, he was in Condé Nast <laughs> editor cosplay, you know. Like. <laughs> yeah. So I just like, I want to mark this moment um, and say that I was right. The vibe has shifted and mm-hmm. everyone should point at me and say, wow, like they were correct. Um, anytime you see someone with a white boyfriend in the future, you should, well, I don't want to say you should think of me. Um, <laughs> but just, you know, just remember that I'm right. And uh, that's all that I have look to, to say. Look to your left, look at your white boyfriend and just picture Cerise. Right. Uh, mm. <laughs> okay, well... <laughs> That's all that I have to say before we get into the rest of our episode. I don't want smoke, I just want smoke. When I hit the pipe, I'm like Walter White. Walter. When I hit the smoke, I feel like a dope. Dope. Yeah, I like green because it makes me lean. And I smoke high because I'm blowing clouds. When I'm getting high, then it's time to smoke. When I'm smoking loud, then it's time to blow clouds. Hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome back. Um, In part one last week, we talked about Austerity Core. Um, and we mainly talked about pop culture, music, TV, internet, politics, uh, stuff like that back in 2008 during the recession. Um, and now we're getting into the capital F fashion industry, um, all about like the big floppy hats and the little denim shorts and that Lana Del Rey era of Americana in, in fashion history. That was 2012, my friend. Oh. <laughs> everyone's well, you know, everyone's always of, thinking of 2012. Every, I mean, who cannot get 2012 off the brain? Mm-hmm. You know, who among us? I'd love to know. But yeah, um, we, we had yeah. so much to say in our last episode that it it took a very long time, and so we're back to just talk about fashion on this one. 
with our guest. Um, do you want to reintroduce yourself, maybe? Why not? Yeah, sure. Hi, I'm Nicola. Um, I guess my background is as a fashion writer. It's like one of those things where I'm like, is that real? But I guess it's the truth. Um, and I have my own little fashion culture podcast called Identity Crisis. So I love thinking about these things and um, analyzing them. So I'm excited for this. Yeah. And I feel like 2008 for me is when I, I feel like there were just some really major changes in the fashion world. Um, so I'm excited to get to talk about it too. Um, yeah. I feel like we talked about this last episode, but I feel like one of the sort of like macro trends of this era is just like the dissolving between like mass culture and niche culture just probably has more to do with the internet and communication than anything else. But I think that in fashion, we see that a lot, like the sort of top down, um, like fashion industry to the gap or something like that, that uh, stream begins to change in this era. And production also has technological advances that make things like fast fashion happen now that couldn't have happened before. But yeah, definitely links to like a lot of what we were talking about in the last episode. Yeah, the cycle of production has just moved so much faster, even in the, I guess, past like 12-ish years, where um, I feel like trends cycle through in a year or two in a way that they couldn't have before, and it got so much faster post-2008. Yeah. You used to have to order much larger runs of things, um, so it was hard to be anyone but a behemoth and be able to like do a full you know size run now things are just much more nimble and because of a lot of different reasons it's possible to just make smaller amounts of clothes without it being you know exorbitantly expensive which is how we get like a lot more smaller brands and also how we get like fast fashion yeah so i guess maybe to start us off um one of the things that i feel like marks like the post recession era and like the beginning of the recession was like all of the um like collaborations between like i don't know if you would consider h&m or like forever 21 like a fast fashion brand but i i think i i would um with like major like design houses you know um like yeah it used to be like, oh, that was fast fashion. And now we have, I think it's called like hyper fast fashion, like Shein and stuff make mm-hmm. that, like even the fact that we would doubt, like does H&M count as fast fashion, you know? Um, but yeah, this is also kind of that dissolving of like the the high and the low where they started having these collaborations. The first one was Karl Lagerfeld in 2004 um, with H&M. And then, I mean, every brand at every level was doing some kind of high-low, like, collab that by the time, like, the mid-2010s came around, there was, like, collab fatigue. Like, people were tired of, or just, you know, people weren't rushing to, like, wait at Target for, like, whatever the new, you know, collaboration was. It was always still there the next day. It wasn't selling out first day. Um, But this is really, like, this moment, 2008, is really, like, when this, is really heating up. And it's crazy because at the time, 2008, H&M uh, collabed with Comedy Garçon, which 
feels like so elevated in like thinking what we have now in collaborations, which are just like, I don't know, like, uh, UG X, like Louboutin or something. You know what I mean? It's just like, okay, like these just sort of like, I guess, okay, or like weird artists or like, I don't know, stuff that people don't care about. But the idea of having like Calm Garçon like doing an H&M collaboration feels, I don't know, just like very lost to time. Yeah. I Do you think that the, I guess like the, the um, oversaturation of those sort of collaborations was because like what was, uh, like were designer brands um, like not, selling as well like in the immediacy of like 2008 and so they were trying to like do more mass market um fashion in order to to make up for that i think it was more just like the consumer appetite was like oh this isn't special anymore there's one of these at every major store every single month and it doesn't feel like oh i like it doesn't feel like an event Mm -hmm. you know these things anymore but um Obviously, it's a model that hasn't gone anywhere. Like, we're still living in, you know, yeah. Although I feel like now all of the like high-low collaborations are weirdly like, or or not weird, but like, um, like an H and M collaboration obviously would be like a less expensive, like significantly less expensive version of a designer's like clothes. But now it's like, like, like there's the Adidas with like Gucci or with like Stella McCartney or something where it's like a pair of shoes that, that would ordinarily be $50 are now like a thousand dollars. And it seems like it's a lot more like, like low brands collaborating with like more expensive ones to create a more expensive version of a product that's typically cheaper. And so that feels like a reversal of what was like common in 2008. Yeah, I know this fascinated me. Like, um, Fendi and Skims did a collaboration, yeah. but it was the Fendi price point, but the Skims style clothes. And I, I just thought that was like, I was like, oh, wow, this is not in a good way. This is new, but I was like, this is actually new. Or like, um, wasn't it like, I think Adidas and Balenciaga. So it's like, it's a collab between the two, but it's the Balenciaga price point with the Adidas like iconography. Right. I, yeah, I'm like, like I'm not... looking at the the Gucci Adidas collab right now, and it's just an Adidas sneaker in the Gucci colorway, which like mm-hmm. doesn't and and it's uh, nine hundred fifty dollars, um, <laughs> and <laughs> it just it does feel like the natural conclusion of like the past I don't know five or six years of like designer brands sort of like leeching off of what has been the most popular which is like streetwear and which is like less expensive and so instead of just copying that um collaborating with those brands but creating a more expensive version of it so that there's some like exclusivity to it um but it just does feel like a really like weird reversal of like the way that it was so oversaturated in like 2010, but it's like that, but opposite now. I know I, it definitely, I, that was one of those things where I'm like, okay, I think everyone's lost the plot. Like this isn't what, <laughs> this isn't, what are we doing here? Especially like as a consumer, like, what are you doing? Why are you doing, why are you buying this? Yeah. Are you buying? Well, like you even <laughs> think about just how, 
like so many luxury goods now are like stuff that is meant to look like it's it's very uncool to look rich you know like you think of like yeah like it like a lot of like rich teenagers like around like the last couple of years have gotten really into golden goose sneakers which oh are those God, sneakers that are like yeah they're like 500 to 600 dollars and the idea of a golden goose sneaker is that it's this ugly little white sneaker that has like dirty laces and like purposefully dirty soles and looks kind of creased and like dis- distressed like they just look ugly and dirty if like they're I very ugly dirty shoes saw someone in them i would jump them and rob them and take everything but the sneakers um to make a point um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it i mean it does well, feel okay. like exclusivity is the the point with that versus i guess in 2008 the point was like to make the like exclusive brand more accessible i think too like this is a model that like started in 2004 and then by the time you have the great recession it makes sense that it's a model that kept going because it's a way for people to you know buy something special but not have to spend a lot of money on it and like you were saying like Maybe, you know, some of the brands that the higher end brands that were doing collaborations were sort of uh, relying on this like additional income because they didn't have the sales that they had before. Like, actually, it's interesting. Um, one of you said like about being like uncool to look rich. That's a literal pull quote that I got from an article written in like 2008 about like recession fashion and how it's in the New York Times, I think, like that there was a quote paradigm shift in how Americans perceive conspicuous luxury. And I remember like, that's kind of when brands like the row got really big where it was like, or like um, Celine where it's like, okay, if you're a rich person, you can't really look like it. Cause it's just kind of in bad taste right now. So like the logos all went away, you know, and yeah. everything became very like minimalist and like classic. Yeah, I always say that 2008 is like when the logo starts went back inside of of clothes, which mm-hmm. I feel like I'm, yeah. I'm starting to see a little bit now too, because was it maybe 2017 or 2018 where just like the all over monogram like logo print was just huge. And I think that yeah. now you would be very like you would you would look out of touch if you were wearing um like a head to toe like Louis Vuitton cat suit or whatever it is that like Kylie used to be wearing in 2017. Yeah. Um, It's interesting too, because like when I was reading about that, so like the New York Times uh, describes the truly, as this article in 2008, the truly rich are those with at least $10 million in investable assets. (laughs) So we're not talking about just like regular, this article wasn't about regular rich, about truly rich. the rich do not spend most of their money at shopping centers, which is why some industry investors say it's a good time to reconsider the parameters of the luxury goods sector. Names that have held on to their cachet and deepened their appeal to generations of wealthy customers include, so these are the companies that like didn't do badly, Louis Vuitton, Hermes, Cartier, Bulgari, Bottega Veneta. Um, it seems like the sort of like heritage luxury brands are the ones that survived the crisis like relatively unscathed but the overall luxury goods market did take a considerable hit right like you think about like brands like betsy johnson went bankrupt Mm -hmm. around that time 
like brands that were slightly smaller but still within like that luxury price point for a lot of people um yeah famously went bankrupt like i think they're just starting to kind of like rebrand and get back on the horse uh betsy yeah. johnson at least they've been trying to release like a capsule collection I more recently to, and they've been advertising it all over the place betsy johnson earrings from the mall nice um, <laughs> 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 I think that that um, era also was around the time when I started hearing the term like investment piece and in, like in relation to clothing, mm-hmm. um, where mm-hmm. I think that like brands were trying to market the the things that they were selling as um, like more timeless so that it didn't seem like a frivolous purchase to be making in a recession, but rather like something that you would want to have in your wardrobe for a while. Um which felt different from the way that like clothing was talked about in the years like prior to that, um, where it was about being on trend. I was reading about how, yeah, like the, another sector that like actually didn't do so bad was jewelry. And it's because it's seen as like an investment. So it's like, okay, if you're a woman in 2008 with like a lot of money, but not enough to like, you're like, I don't know if it's the like $8,000 coat for me right now, but maybe it's the $13,000 like a uh, diamond earring or something like that, because that's something that I know that is basically like, like clothes aren't investments except to yourself, you know, like no one, not even basically the real, real really wants to buy your old clothes back from you. Mm-hmm. Um, but jewelry is something that can appreciate over time. It's like, that's gold, that's diamonds, that's things that are like, tradable yeah yeah and i think that this actually connects to like the next um piece that we had about like 2008 fashion which was that like style blogging um which had already like existed um prior to that but i think it it like really reached this like huge point in in pop culture in the recession era and i think that maybe the the reason that I, I feel like that could have been the case was that it um like gave people more of like a personal connection to the the clothes that they would want to buy which felt more meaningful than just like buying things to stay on trend like you were connecting it to to personalities that you felt were like knowledgeable and interesting rather than just like a like a socialite that looks good um yeah and this is also like if you're thinking about like magazines of this era, like I remember getting an early issue of like some of the earliest issues of Teen Vogue. And on the, on the last page, there would always be like a girl, like a teen girl in her bedroom. And it would show like all whatever her like little life or whatever. And I realized after a couple, we call them Nepo babies now, but at the time I was like, wait, all of these girls have last names that I know. It was always someone's cousin. Yeah. Like, Oh, they're just like, and I would get so upset because I'd be like, well, I think that Mark Jacobs dress comma $500 comma is cute, but like, I can't ever have that in my, you know, like that's, I, I just like, it frustrated me. And I think that maybe a lot of people who are feeling a bit like priced out from mainstream fashion media, were finding something a little bit more like real and like attainable and also just like real people's voices like people were writing you know obviously with no editor and a lot of these were just like young people just like spilling their thoughts like no uh or very little like self-consciousness um like yeah it was interesting going back and seeing how mainstream media started reporting on the phenomenon and a huge 
connection I saw was like related like sidebars about how to keep your kids safe online because so many of these early style bloggers were under 18 and I think it was like a bit like jarring when their parents would find out like oh you have a really popular blog that I had no idea you were doing and you're like 14 years old yeah I it's hard for me to be objective about it because I was around that age like in 2008 and so this was the beginning of my interest really in fashion period but I remember trying to get into Teen Vogue and just not feeling like like there was any entry for me in there because mm-hmm. like head yeah. head to toe the people that would be styled in like the different editorials were always like at least two or three hundred dollars at the at the minimum um and that would maybe be for like a sock um or or something and that was when I got really into tumblr and I was on lookbook.new a lot and also like yeah um like a lot of individual blogs and I think what I liked about it was that um they might be wearing like one or two designer pieces but a lot of them would reuse like if it was a bag or something like that bag would would make an appearance in a lot of their outfits. And so it seemed like a, an easier thing for me to try to emulate. Cause it was like, okay, I can like save up and buy like one really expensive thing, but I can see also how someone is like putting together an outfit that looks cool with pieces from like H and M um, or forever 21. Yeah. I think what we're seeing now with influencers, like, because this was really like the pro like a lot of these, people did go on to be influencers Mm -hmm. um but these were they were sort of like setting a like perfect framework to be sponsored you know and to have pieces of their outfits sponsored right and now that's so common and I think that a lot of people are bored of the traditional influencers because they're like every single post is like paid for and there's no like actual original style that this person has it's just about who's cutting them the check you know yeah yeah it's interesting I feel like we ended up pivoting back to the thing that we got bored of in the early 2000s of just like socialites that were very obviously styled by someone where they're wearing a lot of expensive things or at least things that they didn't pay for themselves um and then we like moved into like caring about people that had personalities um that we thought were interesting alongside their clothes and then we we moved back to just like you know people that are like oh I don't know what kind of caption to write um (laughs) alongside an outfit post or something where like the the caption just clearly isn't important um which just makes makes it very different from style blogging but I think that I think we're right right for a style blogger era to come back I think that that will that will be a thing like it seems like between like IG grid posts where you're sort of putting a more permanent display of whatever it may be and Substack, which is my friend Tavia said she was like every social media um platform is just reinventing blogging like all people want Mm -hmm. is blogging Mm -hmm. and so I feel the same way where like I don't know it's interesting because at the time you would go to someone's like you would go to their url it wasn't like you were already in a feed and these people were like in your feed like with you you know um like you would go to you know thestylerookie.com or something and yeah. uh so i don't really know like i don't think we can i don't think people will be trained out of living in the platform and like in the feed 
So I don't know exactly like where this will take place, but I mean, Instagram, it's almost in a way I mean, I'm like, why? I, I feel like I can see it happening with a lot of these girls that are like, in particular, like on TikTok and other places that, and even Instagram, because now like IGTV is kind of like where they're pivoting to and, you know, they're their own like you know tiktok feed that they've made um oh instagram reels god i always forget about it because yeah they retired igtv yeah people don't like video no yeah not on not on instagram but i do know that a lot of like girls have been like sort of pivoting to trend forecasting it's been like very big in like the more recent days there have been quite a few people who've been exposed for like they used to just talk about like celebrity gossip and now all of a sudden they're like marketing themselves as like an authority figure on like trend forecasting in fashion and fashion design when they never said anything about like this so-called expertise beforehand. And it's also starting to like kind of peter out because you're starting to see like advertisers like kind of clumsily awkwardly kind of bumble their way into trying to also trend forecast for their own brands where they're like trend alert like are you goth core or prep core like which is the coles ad i saw recently and i'm like oh man like this is the beginning of the end for trend forecasting like trend forecasting as the trend is going to be dead but like that is just blogging that's what blogging was like a lot of girls Mm -hmm. would just They'd be like, all right, necklace layering is like the new thing. Like, here's a thing that I did. Like, here's some tips on like how to necklace layer. Yeah. Which was like a big thing, like <laughs> getting big chunky statement necklaces and then layering them on top of each other. Like there were quite a few blogs that were trying to kind of like keep up with the latest trend so that they could get more hits on their blog. And that's just what trend forecasting is. Like that's what you're doing. Um, but the problem is, is that they have like absolutely no uh historical precedent like on what they're talking about like they 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 like to think that they're being very academic um and they're like well like this was on tumblr at this point when actually in fact like that fashion trend which is essentially like mimetics you know it's it's meme memeified like you know trend forecasting like this trend was on tumblr when i can look at that and, and carbon data and go no this was on pinterest and there's a specific like culture of that like one you know social media platform that is the reason that this trend can be birthed you know like it wouldn't be born on a place like tumblr it would be born on a place like pinterest or be born on a place like twitter or instagram like there's a certain amount where like these aesthetics come from separate communities and they're they they are separate communities that create different interactions so like they're trying to get back to blogging, but they're still just doing it incorrectly. <laughs> like, I feel like, um, like I, uh, when I, when people, when I like first kind of people were sending me these like, you know, for trend forecasting, like TikToks and stuff, it would make my blood fucking boil because like you said, these people have no like history. Like they don't know anything. They don't know how to fact check. And they're just saying shit. We're like, it doesn't matter. Cause it's like, who cares? Like, what you say about fringe you know but it's just mm-hmm. like this um this world where there's just like no critical thinking and no one thinks to like double check and it's just and like, no citations here's what i remember yeah no yeah. citations 
Yeah. Here's my very hyper individualist like perspective on one thing that I saw one time and now it's mm -hmm. probably going to come back. I think the difference between what we're seeing now and like what was happening then, which I think is something that people are are craving and will likely come back um, sometime soon is just the uh, like inherent, like baked in monetization of a lot of the like uh, attempts at style blogging now or, or trend forecasting where it's like chasing some kind of sponsorship or like collaboration with a, a brand. And while definitely like a lot of the 2008, like most famous style bloggers ended up collaborating with, with brands, a lot of them were just like doing outfit posts for two or three years before any of that happened. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so when those collaborations did happen eventually, whether or not it was authentic, like it felt that way to people that were watching them because it um, was like rare in their stream of of posts that they would be like partnering with someone. And so I, I think that when style blogging does eventually come back, it is going to like be part of this like desire to not be seeing a constant stream of of ads and it will probably be people that are like maybe intentionally like not taking any sponsorships or something and are just doing it Mm -hmm. because they like to do it i know like now i mean partnerships and uh like influencer marketing like every company has people dedicated to this and all they do all day is work with people to post their shit because that's like a strong leg of marketing at this point. So I don't know, because I also feel like the average user or like the user to creator pipeline knows and has seen so much evidence of how people get rich or at least support themselves. Like that. I don't even know like what kind of pure hearted person would have to exist Maybe a teenager. Yeah, like, <laughs> I think I think it might be it might be teens again. Maybe. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. But are and, they punk? I don't know if they're punk. <laughs> I don't know. I think we're, we're gonna have to. I, unfortunately, I think we're gonna have to get another. Um, we're gonna have to get another rookie mag on our hands. Hold on tight. Like we're gonna need. Yeah. Unfortunately, the that's. Is? Yeah. Yeah, and I think you need, that you need like a teen genius. The way that I think it made it was cool. Also, when the like 2008 like style bloggers ended up partnering with brands, was that it it felt like a fuck you to the fashion industry in a way that it it just doesn't now. Because I know that like mm-hmm. um, Vogue and like Teen Vogue forever were just refusing to acknowledge that like these style bloggers at the time were really like setting trends. Um, like the example of, of all of the people in the back of Teen Vogue that were nepotism babies when there were so many teenage girls um, at that time who were like actually setting trends but weren't getting the same kind of recognition. So I remember feeling a little bit like, yeah, fuck you, like Vogue or whatever, when like one of the bloggers that I was following would get some kind of partnership with someone where it wasn't like, I was happy for them that they got a brand deal, but just that it felt like um, it was fighting back against the like gatekeeping of the fashion industry at the time. That just doesn't, it's not like a thing that we have to worry about in the same way now. This is like a bit generous, but in a way you could kind of say it was sort of the like 
alternative media to fashion media. So yeah. it's like you kind of had almost like indie alt like fashion media in a way that just hadn't really been able to flourish before, you know. Well, and I think similarly, like, I remember feeling excited about style bloggers at that time, because there was, like, genuinely a lot of, like, body diversity and, like, racial diversity Mm -hmm. in the different people that were style bloggers. And you could see the way that, like, outfits looked cool on all kinds of people. And so when they got attention, it felt exciting because it was going against something that was like the uh the prevailing trend um in like fashion institutions but now i i think that every brand's got like one plus size person on their on their roster for their like influencer packages and then they have one skinny person and one black person and it just doesn't feel um anymore like when the like different kinds of people are getting attention that um like anything is being said or resisted, but that it's just like all gotten like consumed in the same mm-hmm. bubble of marketing. Yes, I have a lot of feelings on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess to like get back to fashion trends of that time, I like that you put in our notes, is it illegal to say harem now? And then I was like, wait, is that like gypsy where you like wouldn't say that now? I think that people still call them hair and pants. Um, yeah. But also people but don't you wear see them. someone getting mad about it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I know, but maybe, maybe the drop crotch will come back. It has, it's definitely like we <sighs> yeah, had probably like the mainstreaming of high waist and now we're like having this little like low waist moment, but no one's been fucking around with the crotch. So no. Do you think that not- high, high low skirts were also a real feature of 2008 for me? I, I don't yeah. really know if I would Ooh, like yeah. to see them come back. The I don't- mullet skirt? Uh, yeah. Yes, the mullet skirt. Yeah. That was my prom dress. Uh, that's Had nice. a mullet skirt. Nice. It was, it was very unfortunate. Uh, I mean, it was just that, like, it it came in, I was hoping, like, there was one model that came with, like, a full skirt, and one model that came with a high-low skirt, and unfortunately, the color that I wanted came with a high-low skirt, (laughs) which I was very upset about, like, but in the end, I worked it out, because, like, I decided to compromise, you know, less skirt better color yeah i i don't know if it's just because i was paying more attention in 2008 than i could have in any other time before then but it seemed like it was the time mm. like a time where the like trending fashion pieces were so confused like all over the place and like where they were pulling their inspiration from like you um put in in our notes like gladiator sand sandals but like peplum and then also like a like a big bag and a paper bag waist and like all of those things i feel like are are being inspired from a lot of different places um in a way that Wait, feels different to down, me yeah if you scroll down to the bottom of your dock uh, to the dock i don't know if you saw but i i put together a little like a uh, gallery of about nine girlies here oh um, yeah to, like these are like real oh, there's my girl Corey Kennedy. Like really... <laughs> Hell yeah, and she's wearing like leggings with like a um, gladi like a high heel gladiator sandal mm-hmm. and sort of like a mustard colored um, like paper bag waist mini skirt, little black tank top, and then like a black vest 
with a big, I think, mulberry bag. And I'm pretty sure based on the background, this is she's at Fashion Week in Paris. Yeah, this is this was the era of vests, like random vests any time of year. Oh, yeah, denim vests, and then leather also vests. Peep toe, like not boots. Um and at, at like I don't know. It just the it paper feels, boy hat. It feels confused. The yeah. The booty. Yeah. Yeah. It feels My confused. My mom called them shaboots. <laughs> shaboot. Yeah. The shaboot. There was the paper boy hat. A lot of people wearing like a little paper boy hat. Um oh my god. Lots of just like layering uh different shirts. A lot of shirts were super oh. long also. Like just even in like mm-hmm. the like retail market like shirts were just very very long and very thin in like the women's yeah. department like that, just i feel like it kind of covered was the, the beginning of wearing like leggings with a, a tunic shirt you know mm-hmm. oh because it was a whole mm-hmm. debate though, back then are leggings pants that was that was a ongoing yeah. conversation yep. leggings was, or pants do they get to be and pants or not when people yeah and that's when the shirts were covering like you know all of the um swimsuit areas so Mm -hmm. (laughs) it wasn't even like Mm -hmm. the era of like full camel toe like full ass like (laughs) yeah now you can just have your ass out and it's and it's okay but it was a it was a conversation of our leggings pants and also Mm -hmm. was that um dress over pants time or was that a little bit before I feel when like people were wearing like dresses, a little bit full dresses over yeah. jeans and leggings. Mm-hmm. It's hard to date because mm-hmm. part of me sees like sort of a grunge image, but then at the same time, I can also see like a uh, Nicole Richie wearing like one of those sort of like fairy style, like um, the halter top fairy, and like, like the be, but it's like yeah, long, yeah. like a dress with like jeans underneath it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, while holding like a sidekick or like a PS4. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, a PS2, um, PS4. That's way later. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that could be. Like, I think it was around that cusp because, like, I think also like we were just headed into the area of the bustier top, like not mm-hmm. the corset, but like the little like bustier bustier top where it was like um well that was, it was studded and the, covered in like gold the like 1940s throwbacks that were happening mm-hmm. a lot back then i think everyone yeah. was like sharing pictures of betty page um yeah the pinup mm-hmm. girls and, and that was when Katy perry was still trying to do her her little 1940s thing i guess because she was like riding the like hipster aesthetic which was was also doing that um but i also felt like like the 1940s um like throwbacks that people were doing was sort of uh like speaking to kind of the optimism that people felt in 2008 where it was a throwback to an era where it was like the the war wasn't over, like it was right before the end of World War Two, but it was also like right before an era where like the West was the most prosperous that it's ever been. Um, and so even though like things were really dire, I feel like the the throwback to the 40s was like a, a way of kind of signaling this like hope that things were going to get good pretty soon, which is also how the mullet skirt feels to me, because isn't it that... um. When 
when the economy is bad, like hemlines are supposed to be longer. Um, And then this was the only time where like, instead of that happening properly, they were like, well, <laughs> let's hedge what it with like, it it <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's hedge it with like, a skirt in the front. <laughs> you got your peanut butter in my chocolate. You got your chocolate yeah. in my peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this also was like the um I guess the beginning of the end for for the indie people. It was when mass mass hipster mm-hmm. style um became a thing and i guess is that like the connection between fast fashion getting faster um post 2008 because part of part of why i feel like thrift shopping is not so good anymore is that you anything that's made after 2008 is just like i i don't want someone's leftover forever 21 um i'm in the i'm in the vintage circles (laughs) i'm in the vintage circles and I've, i've been talking to people like in these like forums and stuff and they've been like why is like why can i never find like vintage levi's anymore why am i only finding like shein clothes and part of it is that people are like dealing with micro trends but also mm-hmm. levi's has struck a deal with goodwill and all these other like thrift shops where no they way. will get the best yes they will get the best archival levi's that they find mm-hmm. and then they're releasing wow. archival capsule collections of their old Levi's. But I feel like... So like, they've, like, struck a deal. Even if, like, things like that are happening with, like, some more well-known brands, I feel like a, a shirt that was made at, like, The Gap from, like, 2002 mm-hmm. is just significantly, like, better made than whatever The Gap is putting out now. And so oh, yeah. something that I've just noticed about, like, going to thrift stores is that it's harder to find... Mm-hmm. Um, things that are are of good quality and i feel like 2008 to me was like the marker of when like fast fashion cycles started getting faster and also when the the quality of like less expensive clothes went went way 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 down um Mm -hmm. and also i guess was when like like subcultures started getting marketed to us like in fast fashion spaces because i i don't know if prior to like 2008 if you could go into forever 21 and get like goth clothes i i know i kind of struggled with being able to do that when i was younger of like wanting to dress a certain way and not being able to find stuff like that at the mall um and then that kind of changed for me in the the years after where like i mean obviously there was always hot hot topic but you couldn't go to like a like Macy's or like a uh, forever 21 yeah. or something and get like, it's not like you could go shopping with your mom and just go <laughs> get like black clothes at the forever 21. Yeah. She's not going to step foot in hot topic. And that was, I think um, like the turning point of when like subculture, like niche clothing started getting marketed to us, like in the, the mass culture spaces. When I was in high school, like which would have been like 2004. Oh wait. 2003 to seven um i had little like side gig like uh sewing everyone's pants skinny because you couldn't buy like skinny jeans they just weren't available like and that was such a big thing like when it was like oh my god skinny jeans and like high rise you know so i would like yeah for ten dollars a pop like help my friends like take in their jeans so that they would be like skinny like and these a lot of these kids were like emo kids hardcore kids so like that's kind of like where this look was coming from personally but obviously like the high-rise skinny jean 
is now the default that we're rebelling against. But like, you couldn't like go to the mall. Yeah. Like you're saying, and just buy like skinny black pants. Yeah. And I think that that's also, you can't escape them when like the prerogative of calling someone a hipster, like became a thing because it, it stopped like that was when it stopped necessarily signaling something if you were dressing um, like you were part of a subculture. And so there had to be this sort of like gatekeeping and asking like, okay, but are like, what do you actually believe? Like, can you name five songs or whatever? Um, Because it became easier to dress a certain way without putting the same kind of effort in. Um, And I feel like for, for me, at least if my timeline is right, like 2008 sort of marks like, the it's like the demarcation of when that um began happening the first time that my little alt heart was broken by the culture (laughs) was (laughs) the oc which i believe premiered in 2003 Mm. but they had like indie bands on there and it was like the kind of music where it's like oh wait I've been working really hard on like LimeWire to like get this stuff. And I've been going to the like actual record store, blah, blah, blah. And now all these girls, oh my God. And like Seth Cohen was definitely like the type of guy that I liked. Yeah. Um, but then when he popularized, when that show popularized that kind of guy, I was like, fine, <laughs> you all can have him. I'll do something else. I don't know. But I felt like. <laughs> I felt so just like, fuck, like the things that I just was starting to know about, like that I've like worked hard to like have cred and like whatever are now just completely like, um, whatever. You can just buy this like uh, soundtrack at Target or whatever. What's that called? But people used to get mad about uh, bands selling out. And, and I think also like yeah. about like a kind of style that you like selling out. And I think that like as we moved into... I guess the, the, like the late 2010s, like you stopped hearing that, that accusation or like the desire for like credibility from like people that were signaling. I mean, I, I don't even know if there are really like subcultures that are marked by significant differences in, in fashion um, anymore. And I think that that part of that just comes from like the accessibility of dressing a certain way. Yeah. Like when you see a group of four, when you you see like a group of four friends, oh, sorry. (laughs) When you see a group of like four friends on the street, um, they all look like they're in different TikToks. Like like friends don't Mm -hmm. look cohesive, like groups of people who know each other. Like I always think about like merchandising of like mannequins or whatever. And it's like, oh, these people are at all different stores. They're not in the same window, which is not to say that you should be you know, all, like all of your friends and everything should be the same. Of course not. But it's just, it is very, you know, it's visually different than it used to be. And it also does make, it's harder. You can't really assume anything about people based on their dress and the way that you used to before, because it's so easy to get like a starter pack, like, you know, core of some sort and just like, you know, follow the links and didn't have any personality. Yeah. Something that I think about is how we've had some pretty significant, like, uh, political movements in the past, I don't know, like 12, 12, 13 years of like people kind of really like adopting entire new uh, belief systems and like getting pretty heavily involved in in organizing or at least like in 
you know, seeing themselves as a part of a certain group in, in all sorts of ways. And that like, if that was happening, um, I only maybe 20 years ago, like that would also be marked by like a difference in how people in those groups dress and that you would maybe be able to kind of spot like, Oh, this person is, is that because they're sort of dressing a sort a certain way. Um, but that's not yeah, really like, the case anymore where like you can have like the the like MAGA Barbie girls like who are dressing pretty similar to the the like alt girls uh, and like the e-girls and whatever. Um, and there's not like any kind of visual cohesion in, in how people dress. I just, like which I don't know if it's good or bad, but it is just something that I think came from like the beginning of this like mass market, like indie clothing thing where um subcultures stopped having um a specific like aesthetic signaling because of how easy it was to adopt the entire outfit head to toe yeah like we didn't talk about occupy on the last one which I'm that's 20, by, 2011 but, oh yeah i guess i'm thinking like fallout like uh recession fallout but that's kind of like i don't know there's a lot of whatever, there's a lot to be said about um, Occupy, but I feel controversially mostly good about it. Oh, like, I think I people have love been to, like, saying... hate on it, this, this, and that. <laughs> I've been saying forever I never... that I think Occupy I was never good. Saw it. <laughs> I never saw young people, like, engaged in fucking anything before that, and I think that, of course, whatever, it has its problems, but, like, I, even like that, you think about all the different kinds of people who were drawn to... Uh, either like the main Wall Street ones or in other places. And it wasn't all like, you know, um, punk kids or something like that. It wasn't like anarchists. It was like all kinds of different young people who looked all different ways. Like a lot of fucking normies, you know, yeah. having like yeah. kind of a, kind of a, you know, just thinking a little different about things. And like, that was cool. No, it was a hugely radical moment. And I think that the like distaste that people have for it comes from like, liberals don't know what to do with a protest movement when it's happening during a liberal <laughs> president's like term and so they just immediately dismissed it and it was before i think people oh, were how dare you <laughs> not like a liberal president yeah because oh. obviously like the fox news types were not going to get positive coverage of it and it was it was before people were able to really like reclaim their own narratives in the way that we were able to see people happen just a couple of years later with the protests um, after Mike Brown's murder, um, where people were able to reset like what was being said about them in real time and have people pay attention to it. But Occupy, mm -hmm. um, I like people were on social media, but not to the same extent, like what we were talking about in the last episode where people just didn't have smartphones like that. So a lot of people that were trying to be informed were still getting their news from the news um, and weren't looking to like yeah. alternative sources. So when the news is telling you that Occupy is a bunch of like dumbass college kids that are just like silly anarchists, I think that a lot of people were willing to take that at face value. But Occupy was cool mm -hmm. and it was good. There were um, lots <laughs> of older people. There were also just lots of older people in Occupy. Yeah. Like the, It was not yeah. just like a young people's movement at all. Like this was um this was a very like multi, like both like um, it was a multicultural movement in both like age, 
the people involved, like, I think it, it was way, way, it would have been way, way more successful had people not dismissed it. Yeah, and we need to hand. do another one. We need to do another one, like, yeah. this year. But I am really, really interested in your thoughts on why Twee happened, because that is the other 2008 fashion moment for me that I wish never happened. I did not take part, but it... <laughs> Like the bow ties, the suspenders, I hated, I hated all of it. The ukulele, like just a hideous, a it hideous made you very upset from the beginning. And especially for men, it was a lot of twee men in addition to like the Zoe Deschanel's out there. But I feel Cerise like- Cerise has mm-hmm. been on a, on a podcast long, for the past like year that we've been doing this podcast, Cerise has been on a vengeance quest- I hate twee men. For every victim of the twee man. <laughs> Because it's they're true, they they have mm-hmm. they have made many victims over the years. Yeah, no, I, especially I see, during, like, I see a man in a bow tie, and I assume that he's a sex predator. Um, and and yeah. I'm I'm usually right. I think like okay, so the podcast Nimset Alumni um, did a whole episode on Twee. That's great, and if you are enjoying listening to this, I'm sure you'd really like that. So do check them out. But um, I yeah, I mean, I think that it's definitely born from a nostalgia and like I've been thinking a lot about nostalgia lately and why it like bothers me and other people when they're like overly nostalgic and I read something recently that was saying that uh like nostalgia is um predictable like it's predictable experiences so like being someone who has to go to Disneyland every year whatever it's a predictable experience that you can have and I think there's something in me that's like that is weakness like not Mm. like living in your own times and not facing uh, new experiences like is weakness which of course like no there's space for both of them but I think that I mean it at least on surface like value I feel like it's got to be a reaction to um like increasing digital age and people being like what if we go back to like more wholesome times with these various like markers yeah I I also to me I feel like the the reason that there was such an explosion of it in in men um, seems to be like trying to shift away from the hyper masculinity of the early 2000s that I think was part of the like beauty and fashion standard at the time, which made sense with the climate that we were in, where I think that like the, the general sense that American men had was that we were like under attack. Um, and even if they weren't intentionally like trying to display strength, I think that that desire just ended up getting reflected in like what um, beauty standards that they should be conforming to. And that like post 2008, then the, the desire was like to remind everyone that we're safe um, because there is this like intense hatred of uh, America from like, really all over the world at the time. Um, and, and I don't know, like it, it seems, it seems like a intentional like retreat away from traditional masculinity, um, which I think maybe is why I hate it so much because it's just like this like fake, like I want everyone to think that I'm safe thing. So I'm going to put on the costume of like weak person um, rather than maybe actually doing anything different with your uh, personality um but that that's definitely my it, bias <laughs> i call it um 
a wolf in woke clothing. Like, yeah. Or like a sheep, yeah, <laughs> wolf in woke clothing. Like a sheep in woke clothing. Because it's like, you're still a wolf predator, like, uh, whatever. But you're just, like, dressed and saying the things that I think, and like, going can, back to... You can see that coming back with the kids with the nail polish... And the pearl necklace, the the Mm. Mister. We we have never let him let it down. Thankfully, I think he's become like kind of the new, like kind of Tumblr man that just keeps coming back that everybody makes fun of. The guy who said like, "I take my style inspiration from Marsha P. Johnson." Like every time he makes a new video, (laughs) I swear to God, every time he makes a new video, I've looked at his feed occasionally just to check in, just to see if we're all consistently on the same level um, with what we feel about him. And every time his comments are just filled with like, oh my God, Marsha, hi. (laughs) Just people like literally just making fun of him the entire time. But that's like the embodiment to me of like the twee man 2.0. Yeah, it's it's like a he they who's only they when he's talking to a group of women but he otherwise um yeah but i i yeah i do feel like the the twee man was very um i found him frightening um yeah oh absolutely (laughs) and it and it was a thing that it it seems like just exploded like post 2008 um and then would not die even like like seth cohen is kind of a twee man yeah in in a way like that's an archetype of a kind of like Oh, I'm so like, sensitive. I think so much. And he's just a little guy. Just, and I got feelings. Yeah. <laughs> my little pants, my little shirt. Even though he's not doing like full <laughs> bow tie or whatever, it definitely was still like. I guess it's also like the idea of like the soft boy or whatever, mm-hmm. where it's like it's the fuck boy, but he's like acts a little more. Um, like he has a really rich interior or whatever. Yeah, we stopped caring about men's abs and started caring about their hearts. And I think that we we should stop. Um, <laughs> yeah, objectify them. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think the the um, thing that connects back to like the gatekeeping of the fashion industry that I think would feel maybe surprising to people that weren't paying attention back then was like how, uh, like where the like the the covers of Vogue that you mentioned in our notes where it's. Kate Hudson, Kate Bosworth, Drew Barrymore, Gwyneth Paltrow, like it's all, uh, or Sarah Jessica Parker, Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon, like all white actresses. Um, I was shocked. Thin, thin was white like, actresses. No musicians. Yeah, who, yeah. which and is where the black people were. Like the, they were the black people yeah. were in music at that time, and like it, I, it just feels um, so obviously like gate gatekeepy in a way that just wouldn't it wouldn't work um now and also as i think we've moved so far away from that because um like vogue needs to sell covers um that i, I think need to be I relevant think, yeah it needs to be mm-hmm. relevant and i think like would feel surprising it, it was a little bit surprising to me even and i was paying attention at the time like the way that a lot of different people were just like very left out of like representation and like who, who was fashionable and like who gets to be dressed by designers on covers. And I really think like, I think it was, I think it's more of like a just um, completely ingrained attitudes of the time. Like, I don't think it was some kind of like, Oh, 
we've got a black option, but we don't want her. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I think it was yeah, just yeah. like, it was, you know, a mostly wealthy white Vogue staff working with like mostly like wealthy white PRs to promote like wealthy oh. white women, right? Like, I don't, I think it's just like the true idea of diversity, of just like not having different minds in the mix is how you get this like homogeneity. And it's also just so crazy because I feel like actresses are just not it anymore. Like, no, no. No, we have like Sydney Sweeney. (laughs) Yeah, right. Police. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I feel like because Euphoria is probably what the biggest TV show for like people sixteen to to twenty five, right? And I would I would say that Mm -hmm. all of the people from that show, with the exception of Zendaya, are like C list. Mm -hmm. And I feel too like um, like. Actress, I kind of, I kind of respect this, but I feel like true, like A-list actresses kind of have like bowed out in a way where like they are not showing up to every single event and they are not necessarily posting. Like even just looking at um the Met, the Met Gala, like the kind of people that they invite now to the Met Gala is such a wide swath. But if you go back and look at you know ten years ago or something, they were only inviting literally like the, the top people of all industries like in a room together. And now it's like whoever has to promote the eldest movies there and like just bunch whoever of Whoever like- has like a brand to promote. Like so often there's mm-hmm. like now, like, Addison you know, Ray. C-list. Yeah, mm-hmm. C-list influencers that like nobody can, like Addison Ray's mom went to the Grammys with Young Gravy, like- these are names yeah. I do not who's just know. A, who's just a meme, like, rapper. Like, that's the point that I, where it's just, like, I also think that COVID was a big part of it, you know? I think a lot of these celebrities started to realize, like, oh, it's actually not required for me to go to the boring event. Like, <laughs> it doesn't well, actually, it's, it's like, not required, mean like, make or break for my career. It's not a part of their obligations also, now because they don't need to do it because we have the, yeah. the influencers think- that, that, We'll yeah. do that for them. And mm-hmm. I think the way that these guest lists and such are organized now is like, um, you know, like at the Met, for example, like one year it's going to be Rihanna. And that is who is going to be the big showstopper. She's going to come late. That's not an accident. You know what I mean? Like that's who it's going to be. And then, you know, this year it was going to be Kim. Kim came late. She had the, like, whatever. So you can't have, like, other people who are going to steal those big moments because it is so orchestrated. That's at least, like, I don't know that for sure, but that's my reading of it, like, as a viewer. Yeah. So, like, they don't want Jennifer Aniston there also because it's not about having everyone there. It's about having, you know, the current cover star or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, but like... I found it- oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I found it interesting to compare the Vogue 2008 covers to the nylon, which I would call like mass hipster uh, covers. And so in, so their cover stars for 2008 included Misha Barton, Mary-Kate Olsen's solo cover, Chloe Sevigny, <laughs> and Zoe Deschanel on the cover of the It Girl issue. Wow. But that is, again, it's all thin white women who are it's a mix, I guess, of no, these are all actresses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's really interesting. But, and I feel like I, we rag on influencers a lot, and like rightly so, but I think that you can also see the way that um, like 
style bloggers and then influencers like really um, created a shift in like who gets like access and representation like in these like big institutions where you you just couldn't get away with doing that now and also stay relevant you would get branded immediately as like the white supremacist like fashion magazine if you were only putting white yeah. actresses on your cover because it would be an obvious yeah. like choice to be doing that in a way where it was not seemingly like a choice in in 2007 even though it was but it didn't feel like a deviation from the default yeah people weren't um like trained to be thinking critically in that way at the time and now we are all like so aware of that yeah and i also i think that we have more like it like celebrities that are like very relevant that are like people of color in a way that uh I don't know. I feel like the the mid 2000s were like a very white time. Um, And I think that all of the like biggest stars um, like happened to also be like white people. Um, Although I had a I had a different question, which was like, did we stop having supermodels in like after the recession? Because I was wondering if like the influencers (sighs) killed the supermodel because we don't have I mean, we've got like Bella Hadid, who always looks great, but I don't think that she's as big of a yeah. deal as, um, like, I mean, honestly, like Carly Kloss she's was not even in a like big... 2009. She's not even a, as big of a deal as she used to be, even, you know, like, I mm-hmm. feel like right around the time that Gigi was getting popular and Bella was starting to get old enough to kind of get on, get out on her own more out from under Yolanda's fucking thumb. Um <laughs> You know, we got, I think, a lot more of the two of them because, like, the idea of a sister supermodel dynamic was, like, super cool. Like, people were like, oh, this is amazing. Like, two supermodels in the same family. What a what a crazy romp that they're on. And they were, like, taking over the world for a second. And then they just kind of, like, pittered out, you know? They're still modeling. They're still working. But they're not as, like, press-heavy as they used to be. Also, America's Next Top Model, like, the idea of, like, a model as, like, a figure of the culture kind of went out, you know, after a while. Models, we don't, we don't have models anymore who we know by name, except for the ones who are, uh, you know, the children of stars who have become, like, the default models. Like, um, Kaya if you Gerber. have, like, a... Yeah, exactly. It's actually amazing how many of them there are. But you know what? Like, uh, rich, wealthy people do be making some live little babies <laughs> to look great and close. Um, and uh, casting someone like Bella Hadid or um, Kendall Jenner comes with a built-in audience the way that, like, a young Kate Moss did not have you know, X million people who were watching her on her family reality show and then like follow her on Instagram and like everything they do already comes with an audience, which I think changed modeling for sure. And I know that uh, people who talk, who are models talk about how in addition to their um, staff, like height, eye color, whatever, it also will say like how many followers they have and that the casting is extremely dictated on Follower account. Yeah, I think like, about something like the Victoria's I mean, Secret I don't care Fashion that much about Show. 
like yeah. which people used to tune into, I think, to see some of these models that they knew by name that they cared about and liked that just like is not a thing anymore. Like you are definitely if you're the like lone weirdo that is watching the Victoria's Secret fashion show. I'm not sure why you're doing that, but it's not because they're like casting people that you know. I don't know if I totally have a problem with it, even though I have a lot of friends that are models, just because I think about the uh, amount of horror stories that we've heard about the way that, Ugh. you know, like Victoria's Secret models in particular were like taken advantage of that I think is a, it's a little bit harder to do if they're the daughter of someone really famous a hundred percent yeah and so I, I think that like we will not be hearing those same kind of stories from someone like Kaya Gerber um that like a, a supermodel of like 2006 or 2007 would have to share um or yeah. even worse is like I think the people who are not supermodels who are just kind of like I remember um being at fashion shows like uh, as an intern and stuff and I had this internship. My job was to, because there wasn't like digital file cloud shit, I would have to go to the fashion show to meet the photographer to get their SD card to bring it back to the office. So I got to go to a bunch of fashion shows that way, which was great, but it's hilarious because now that would just be like online. Um, But I remember being in the back and just like all these like photographer guys, older, you know, career men in their 40s, 50s years old. And he's like just, teeny little like 16 18 year old girls like changing their clothes and the guys like not look like there was no precedent of like oh i should like give her her space or whatever like you really <sighs> are like a little piece of meat like mm-hmm. it's really fucking horrible so anyway may- yeah maybe <laughs> healthier for everyone if um they're scared of their parents yeah mm-hmm yeah so anyway yeah they guess everyone needs a little fear in their heart for their parents (laughs) just a little bit of fear of god and that god being your mom yeah (laughs) god if those are our two options right sex predator photographers or chris jenner's everywhere i guess i guess i'll take chris jenner that's how much i don't like male photographers um, mm-hmm. I know they're so ugh, it's just the really worst gross. worst kind of person um, I think that the final thing that we had before we get into like the, the fashion industry was that um, this was when Margiela left his label abruptly that was the year 2008 right yeah oh yeah so I actually meant to say this at the beginning like when we talk about fashion I feel like it's important to divide it into like two thoughts and one is like style which is like what actual people are like really wearing and doing and that reflects like various attitudes inside their mind and then there's like the capital f fashion industry which is like any other industry that you that you might analyze where it has its own um inner workings and reasons for doing things and historical precedent that doesn't always perfectly translate to personal style so um yeah this like i this was interesting to me so uh, Margiela left his own label very abruptly in 2008. And then 10 years later, he wrote, he was being honored for something. So he wrote this, um, and I loved this quote, which said, 2008, the very year I felt that I could not cope anymore 
with the worldwide increasing pressure and the overgrowing demands of trade, I also regretted the overdose of information carried by social media, destroying, quote, the thrill of the wait and canceling every effect of surprise so fundamental for me. And it's crazy being like, damn, bro, it got worse. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the fact that in 2008, he was like, I'm going to become a recluse now. It's like, actually, probably smart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, just but bow I think, out like, now. I think, like, one of the differentiators, again, between, like, style and, like, the fashion industry's um, retail, which obviously took, uh, you know, had to rethink itself in many different ways um, when people didn't have any fucking money to spend, you know? So I found kind of two competing arguments about what wound up in stores, Um that was things that were written at the time. And on one side, I was seeing an argument for store buyers having more like conservative uh, quote, like investment buy type clothing and stuff that had like performed well in the past. So like reordering the jacket in a new color or something like that for the next season, instead of taking a chance on something else. But then I also found um, an argument for stocking more like, quote like wow pieces that made someone want to actually have like an emotional reaction and buy something and it was like actually no I don't want the like um classic blazer I need the like sequined tank top or something like that Mm -hmm. because I don't already have something like that but basically it all comes down to um having to deal with a consumer who is like thinking a lot differently about what they were buying. And I think for me, the main thing I really, really remember about that time was how steep the markdowns were. And Mm. like, it was fucking great for me because I was a student and uh, all of a sudden like um, Saks was like 85% off or something like that. Like I did so much good shopping in that time. Um, It was me me with my stimulus in 2020. All of the brands (laughs) were doing huge markdowns then. I, it was so nice. Because you used to just get like 30% off. Maybe you would get to 50% off. But this was getting down into like 70% off and farther, um, which also created a ton of excess stock, which led to those like, quote, flash sale retailers. Like Guilt Group was like the first one that I really knew. And it's funny because those really are, those really have not survived. And they used to be like, kind of like the collab fatigue thing. It was like, you can shop this online sample sale but you have to be online at this certain time and then i think everyone got tired of that but i used to get a lot of really discounted rag and bone shit yeah i used to stay i used to stay on guilt in like 2009 Uh, 2010 all saints yeah that well that was like the the it was like tj maxx but like Bet better, mm-hmm. um, but I think now TJ Maxx has some like high end brands there. So I'm not like I don't know what like role in the market, um, like sites like Gilter are are playing. Um, mm-hmm. And was this one like I think a lot of stores or brands like became online only too? Well, oh yeah, there was a lot of of shuttering of stores. Um, and a lot of like empty real estate sitting around retail real estate. I wonder. So there definitely was a push. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go on. Oh, I like I am just wondering out loud how much of a connection 
that has to do with fast fashion because you can make a mock-up online without having like any physical product yet um very fast if you have like you know what whatever it's going to be printed on or like you know whatever um that then you can you can have like you can do pre-sales or just to have like a built-in customer base for it in a way that you could not if you were um like relying more heavily on like brick and mortar sales or if you're not like an online only um store like you can't do pre-sales if you're an in-person um store it's interesting because um at the time it was like part of the fast fashion model was that it moved so fast there was no time for e-com like also like e-com just wasn't as slick as it was today and now with these like hyper fast fashion brands like asos or um shein or whatever like fashion nova like they're only online Mm -hmm. like they don't even take the time to stock a store or something like that but yeah i guess that was kind of the difference of the time was like you didn't i remember when h&m finally launched like u.s online uh like shopping and being like oh my god exciting never ever have ordered something from h&m.com because it is to me like an in-person experience. Like you walk by an H&M and sort of ambiently go in and you like walk out with some stuff. You don't like go to the website and like look for stuff. <laughs> yeah. That was 2008 or was that 2010, the year that Topshop came to the United States? I remember that oh, being yes. such a big deal for me and and it would not be now because you could just shop Topshop online. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure if they had an online store in, in 2008, they might've been like in-person only, which is wild to think I about. Think... Um, but I remember it oh. being such a big deal when they came to the United States. Cause it was like, finally Americans can, can go to Topshop. Oh, I fucking love the Topshop in Soho. I went, like, I traveled yeah. to the Topshop in New York so that I, I <laughs> <Yeah>. could go. <laughs> <laughs> I know and now that got I think um ASOS like acquired them or something and I'm pretty sure there's no more stores and yeah I don't know yeah it like 2008 like to 2010 was like when I think the shopping experience like started moving way 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 more online um which I guess has a lot to do with like the the stores shuttering in addition to just like people spending more time on their phones and having smartphones. And there just wasn't like a lot of that, um, the like backend stuff that you need to run an e-commerce company, like hadn't been sorted out yet. You know what I mean? Like we just didn't have the like systems or the expertise or whatever. Like it was still kind of like being figured out. Yeah. But um, we already kind of went through this section about, like, in luxury, like, the pushback against logos and stuff, um, which I'm really interested to see, like, if we do, I mean, like, we said on the first episode, like, this recession that we are most likely, like, looking, uh, looking at coming up soon is not going to be, like, the great recession. Right. It's just a recession, you know? So I don't know mm-hmm. if, like, the logo mania will like quiet down at all i really hope that it does i just don't personally like that but um yeah, i think it's ugly I was like, 
I did too. And lazy. Like yeah. that's something that's very lazy about logos to I me because it means like I I do remember like Hot Lamode, who's like a fashion critic on YouTube, and I do I do love his work. I think that Luke has like a lot of really interesting opinions. I don't always agree with him, but I do think that he has a lot of insight. And he did talk about how like back in like when like YouTubers were particularly like just wearing t-shirts with like designer brands on them where he was just like these the logo like wear is like very accessible to a certain brand of influencer and so like it's it's literally the tourist trap of like the fashion world where it's Mm -hmm. like you buy you buy a shirt that just says gucci on it and then you can just like walk around and you know it's like you bought an item from the store which you did but also not really like the stuff that you it's that stuff is always at the front the very front of like the brick and mortar store the ugliest thing to me is is multiple logos i don't know when it became okay Mm -hmm. to do that but but if you're wearing a fucking gucci belt which you shouldn't um they're ugly but if you're doing that and then you're also <laughs> carrying like a monogram print louis vuitton bag and then you're like you're also like it's like you have to pick one if you're going to display a logo and then and then only do that one if you are if you need to have multiple logos like it's got to be one brand um but ideally like like just one or none um, I, I guess I have also always thought it was really lazy because it's just like, you're letting me know that you want me to think that you're fashion, um, and that you, you've got some money to spend, but it's like, you're not really doing anything interesting. Um, but you're, no, yeah. you're getting My some like points it, for it. Yeah. Is that like, this is the way I see it when like a, a brand logo, let's say like a Gucci logo um serves to stand in for the identity of this brand gucci which is a couple of different things it's like an italian fashion house it's uh expensive it's whatever they have this new designer that has all these young people in the mix like it means various things wearing a logo is a shorthand like supreme is my least favorite of these but it's a shorthand to say like um this is who i am and what i'm all about or like this is what i want to be connected to i want to be perceived as part of like this group but you can do it so much if you have real like personal style then you style yourself in such a way to say the various things that you want to say but just wearing like um like a supreme box logo is just you look like you have no idea you know Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i i think that maybe we will probably see less prominent logos because that's already happening but i think that the pandemic was sort of a, a microdose of the recession um, where mm-hmm. I, I feel like um, it, it seems so long ago now that and it was also so wild the way that people were responding that it, it already doesn't feel real where if someone was like wealthy and was like flexing their wealth in the like early months of lockdown the public response to that was like why are you doing this? Like, this is so gross. Like you have no like sense of what's going on. Like was, you know, and to an extent that I think was like not really deserved because they would just be like shaming sometimes regular people um, for like wearing an outfit outside, like not even knowing if they were going to hang out with someone or not. But I, I wonder if there will be 
because that already happened, not really the same sense of like um, shame or like wanting to shame someone if they are doing like a head to toe designer look when a bunch of people have lost their jobs because we've already very, mm-hmm. very recently gone through that cycle. Um, and I think people have like responded to that already. And so I'm not sure if people can do it again, like unless they've forgotten that that's happened. I know. I have been like waiting and waiting and waiting for the normcore renaissance. And now (laughs) I wonder if it will never happen because of a few different things. Like, so normcore kind of like came to be in the wake of the great recession, but um, perhaps was born out of people not wanting to dress rich. You know what I mean? Like wanting to look a bit understated and maybe that that is one way that um, deliberately plain clothing like New Balance sneakers, um, dad hats, whatever, became like a trend. Um, And I've been wondering like, if we, because right now, everything, well, first of all, everyone's more empowered to be an individual than they ever have been before. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like everyone stayed home uh, during the pandemic and found all these different ways that they're different than other people and so special. And two, we have, I think that clothes right now are very bright and loud in part because they do play well on a screen. And I think that if you're a creator who's fighting for eyeballs, wearing like a bright orange or something like that, or like a bunch of patterns, a bunch of colors is literally just like they call it a thumb stopper. Like it does make you stop scrolling and you look for at least one second more. And maybe that person turns you into a fan in that one second of wearing orange versus wearing gray or something like that. So Mm -hmm. I don't, and now we're also in this big, like, sort of, like, tacky on purpose, like, Y2K renaissance, and between all of these different things, I'm, like, I don't know if my normcore dreams are ever going to come true. No, I think rather than normcore, because <laughs> I think that the, like, the desire for minimalism, like, it, you know, came out of this, like, 2008, like, recession mindset of, like, not wanting to ost- ostentatiously, like, display wealth and like not chasing trends because it is frivolous to be chasing a trend that's going to be over soon when everything's expensive and everyone's struggling. And I think that the 2020s version of that is like sustainability, which has has become such a fucking buzzword to the point where um, Eating for Free just put out an episode about Kourtney Kardashian's collaboration with Boohoo that oh, was like yeah. a like mm-hmm. a sustainable fashion, but like also fast fashion moment where like everything is polyester, but it's recycled polyester, so it's okay. And and so I think that like rather than uh, like normcore the the thing is like sustainability which i think started as like a like a genuine effort to like diverge from fast fashion um and and like similar to what happened with normcore where then it just got like eaten up by adidas and whatever um it's but that it's moved so much faster um and part of that also has to do with like influencers where I think people notice a trend and then they have to jump on it in order to stay relevant. And so you see people doing stuff like uh, sustainable hauls 
Um, but I, I think that sustainability But I think I think sustainability is like the the norm core of like right now. Which means we yeah, might not I mean, get yeah. like a you see a lot core. of like you see a lot of greenwashing of products, you know, like even just like general retail products, not even like fashion, but just like you you'll go to Target, you'll look at like a tag on like a piece of clothing there and it'll say like this is made of like recycled materials and it's like but does when your piece of clothing costs like exploitative labor your recycled materials are null and void. Also, if it's meant like, to be yeah. thrown out or only worn a couple times, it's just not sustainable fashion regardless yeah. of what I it's think made of. People like people in their hearts care about the environment and sustainability and that kind of thing like but when it comes down to convenience and price and ego all that shit goes out the window and I think like I have a pretty I don't know I don't feel very like charitable about um people ever changing it feels very much like the toothpaste is out of the tube I don't see how it ever goes back in as far as people's like consumer habits yeah, and I, I feel like with anything else, like when you point out a problem to people, but there isn't like a real solution that people know how to get into, like people just find a way to get used to the problem. And so if people care about mm -hmm. the environment and climate change, like I am sure that that is a thing that, that many people genuinely care about. But if all the solutions presented to them are just like, by Boohoo, um, by, by Kourtney Kardashian's Boohoo line, like some people are just going to do that because what, what else is there um, for them to, to get I involved like in? In the sort of like old adage, like reduce, reuse, recycle, I feel like the one thing that people cannot do is reduce. Like people mm -hmm. refuse to live without, oh, yeah. you know? And that's the biggest thing, like not the most sustainable uh, fashion is not buying stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. or you know, maybe, maybe secondhand, but um, not doing a consumerism is the only way that you can be sustainable and people are addicted to doing consumerism. Yeah. I, I mean, okay. So I, I liked Normcore when it was happening, but I think it devolved into this like oatmeal core that I really hate. Um, I, mm. I hate, I hate a girl that's dressed beige, so much beige from head to toe. It's very ugly to me. And it, it reminds me, I guess, of like when people first start learning about trying to be fashionable and so then they only wear black, um, because it's like, I think easy to experiment with like weirder silhouettes or, or something if it's like all black and then you don't have to think about matching but they don't even want to commit to that because that looks too severe mm -hmm. so they're doing it in beige I have no respect for it but I, I do miss even just like I miss normcore the silhouette <laughs> the minimalist the minimalist silhouette that's coming from normcore like listen I love a good octogenarian art teacher look you know like the big cocoon style dress and like a big chunky necklace that some old lady would who like does movement dance would wear. Like I get it. Like that I love. But there's a certain amount where just like a lot of like the minimalist style, like even high-end design wear that's coming out right now is very just like paper bag. Just like one I think like big silhouette, which is fine, I guess, for somebody. But certainly not for like the majority of the public. It's not eye catching. There's no draping. 
it's just kind of like sewn together and haste it feels like it's hastily just kind of pushed down the runway in a way i feel like the way that streetwear just kind of devolved into like athleisure or something Mm -hmm. and it just became like more and more people just wearing like stretch clothes basically like i do kind of feel like in a way maybe that was our little like most recent norm core moment was everyone just wearing like uh comfy active wear Mm -hmm. yeah but it is interesting like um i think part of like I, i definitely feel like we're in like a maximalist like visual moment right now and that's definitely a reaction to all of the minimalism that we had like up until kind of like glossier you know and these sort of like direct to um consumer companies that sort of made simplicity their thing and also like reproducing clean lines is cheap like it's easy to make you know minimalist furniture or something like that or um minimalist clothing or something like that because it literally means less orientation or ornamentation which means like less cost yeah and then you put a nice like sans serif on the brand and there you go bing bang boom done like (laughs) So I guess that kind of wraps up our like 2008 retrospective. But um, before we let you go, I was going to ask if you wanted, we just talked shit on trend forecasters, so you don't have to, but if you have any upcoming recession predictions and then we can check back on them in like a year and then see if you were right. (laughs) Oh my God. Off the top of my head, trying to think like i mean i really do kind of just believe in the general like pendulum swing like i'm pretty you can pretty much look like big pants small pants small pants big pants like it does go pretty predictably like that so if you just think about like what will people burn out on like i do wonder i do feel like the low rise when i was in new york last month i was like oh literally every not even just girl, like mostly girls, but like every girl and many of her uh, gay comrades are all wearing like the pants at least below the belly button. Even if it's like technically mm-hmm. a mid-rise, it's like I saw like more belly buttons than I have in like so long. So because at first I was like, I don't think that the low rise trend will, no pun intended, have legs. But now I do kind of think that that will be lasting for a while um yeah which is kind of interesting i think to me. that, I that there's a way to do well the that makes me wonder without it being because i think that the way that it happened in the early 2000s that i was so like viscerally opposed to was that it was just like anorexia core where it was like mm-hmm. yeah. like low-rise skinny or like just like slim jeans with also like a very very tiny top and it was all about like showing off that you have like uh, vagina bones um, and a and a mm. flat tummy, and I think that the way that I'm seeing it happen now is like the pants are definitely baggier, so it's like yeah. accommodating someone that has an ass in a way that like the the low rise pants of the early 2000s did not. And while people are like definitely showing off their midriff, I'm not noticing it being a thing that's only for like very very tiny people. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I will say I saw people like of all sizes um, and even like 
Like, I will never be a low-rise girl because I do carry, like, I carry my weight in the lower part of my stomach. And it's just, like, it's I'm not to even trying to be body negative or something. <laughs> it's just a really bad look on me. It's just, like, you got to, you know, know thyself. I'm, like, I'm never going to be that girl. But I was noticing a lot of people who do maybe carry more weight, like, in their stomach were wearing um, low-rise, like, going below the belly button, but not all the way down to the hip bone, you know? So mm-hmm, it's, I guess, technically mm-hmm. mid-rise, but it feels... It definitely feels fresh to see um, because it looks different. But, yeah, I don't know. I guess I just – I'm still hoping for um, some kind of uh, quieter clothing. I really – I can't stand, like, there's been this total um, dissolving of lines between, like, the Fashion Nova cat suit and, like, the Balenciaga cat suit. And I think it's, like, really odd to see, like, these women from Selling Sunset wearing basically like these really expensive, like full body, full coverage, like stretch, like designer Micra, clothes yeah. where it's like, yeah, where it's like, but you also can get that on like any like howare like website. Like you can get some kind of like fishnet cut out. Like, I don't know. It's just very, it's very odd. I, I, I do hope that that goes away soon. I don't, I don't really like it. Um, I don't know. I wish I was better prepared. I, I wonder no, if okay. you're saying like the low rise jean is coming back. I wonder if that means the belly button piercing. I was okay. I was about turn. to totally. say, and and if anyone is thinking about getting a belly button piercing, do not recommend. I don't. I don't have mm-hmm. one. I've, uh, but I just know that from the people I know that that tr- that got one when it was popular the last time. It's like the one piercing that just does not close up if you're like tired of it like it leaves a really wretched scar and there's gotta be like a stick-on option i do not get a belly yeah i'm thinking like if (laughs) if i'm thinking that they're like i have this like third eye notion in my mind of a couple people getting a belly button piercing filming it for tiktok people being like don't do it it's dangerous like my mom or i am a a professional piercer and then people are going to start doing like belly button adornments that are not mm-hmm. like piercings you know what i mean body jewelry oh yeah yeah i think i could see a body jewelry jewelry era coming in you know it does seem like um like i think people are pretty into like bad like purposely bad taste right now which was like a hallmark of like y2k or whatever um but i also feel like there is definitely I think like the general mood of most people is feeling like pretty unsure about the future and pretty hopeless and maybe nihilistic and maybe just kind of like lost and unsure, which I do think will lead to more kind of like bucket like style moments, like getting like really shit tattoos, like just being like, I have no future. So who cares? Like I'll just do whatever I want. um, And then I'll be left for dead like everyone else. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> I don't know. I don't agree. The future could be really good. Um, but you should you should still get a bad tattoo if you feel like it. They're fun to get. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that we believe hope is a practice, Cerise, but you can see the nihilism creeping in with everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just not cool enough for hope, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not, not, I'm cool. not saying it's good. I, mm. I'm, I'm trying to promote earnest, sincere, wholesome content. That is the world I'm trying to have. I want a okay. wholesome, 
a pure and sweet world. I think that that, yeah, maybe this is my final prediction. And I do think really it's going to happen. I think America in particular goes through cycles of like understanding irony and then like doing way, way too much of it. And then it like disappearing Mm -hmm. because people can't handle it anymore. And I think that we reached like the peak of irony, maybe in like 2021 um, or like late 2020. So I think, I think so, yeah. um, earnestness and just like being, being yourself and like not doing little jokes all the time is, um, about to come back. So if, if you're interested in like being sincere, um, this would be a really good time to monetize that. Um, so, yeah. so, so get on, on that. Um, and I think yeah. that's, that's all that I have for today. That's a yeah. beautiful ending, I think. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. All right, thank you everyone for joining us. Um, Thanks for let's having see. me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Is there anything you want? Well, you did promote your podcast at the beginning. Which people should listen um, to. Which people should listen yeah. to. Do you want anybody to follow you on Twitter or anything? Or are you good? Um, <laughs> you can, you can, I've, okay, I've been having, I've been thinking a lot about like what is, point of having a following you know and like what mm-hmm. is the benefit versus the downside not that I have a following but I've just been like um thinking about that like when it comes to like self-promotion stuff but yes if you I I would say that Instagram stories is where I really shine but I have been on Twitter a little bit more lately but it's just Nicola underscore Fumo um you can figure out how to spell that it's probably in the title here yeah yeah, yeah. Cool. we'll link it below it'll all be good yeah um yeah so thanks for joining us everybody thank you paid pigs and prayer warriors um we have a website you know about it we're big soy naturals everywhere on social media leave us a review on apple and spotify they do reviews now um we have merch big soy church if you want to get yourself a, a sweatshirt or a hat or a phone case or some stickers we have those um and yeah also you know Give us money on Patreon if you want. We're going to start making content on there again relatively pretty soon. True. Um, (laughs) True, true, true. Um, And I think that's it. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. I need to answer these to teach me what to think. Natural's.